The stories in this book have been told and retold, cherished and revered by literally billions of people over thousands of years. People have devoted their entire lives to studying this book. There are hundreds of thousands of commentaries on it. And many people believe that this book had to have been written by God. The Torah, what's so special about it? Why is it so mesmerizing? And how has it managed to capture the human imagination for millennia? I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Ikar in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. Where exactly does our national story begin? That's a question that arises every year at the Passover Seder, when we gather around a table to tell the tale of how we became a people. So, where do we start? With Joseph being sold into slavery? With the descent of Jacob's household to Egypt? The rise of the new Pharaoh? Well, one answer is provided by the passage that opens this week's Parsha, in the declaration of the First Fruits Ceremony. The people are commanded, upon first entering the land of Israel, to take an offering from the first produce harvested in this new settlement, and to bring it to the priest in charge at the time, and then to recite the following. My father was a wandering Aramean, Arami Oved Avi. He went down to Egypt with meager numbers and sojourned there, but there he became a great and very populous nation. The Egyptians dealt harshly with us and oppressed us. They imposed heavy labor upon us. We cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our plea and saw our plight, our misery, and our oppression. And the Lord freed us from Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and awesome power and by signs and portents. God brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so I now bring the first fruits of the soil which you, O Lord, have given me. That's it. That's one of the most succinct tellings of the Exodus, a journey into slavery and back to freedom, in just five quick verses. But it's not clear what the opening phrase of this declaration is doing here, and what it adds to the story. Arami Oved Avi. My father was a wandering Aramean. The Aram region is a familiar biblical landscape. It's located in modern-day Syria and was home to several ancient Semitic tribes who shared the Aramaic language. But who's this Aramean father of ours? Where was he wandering? And what does that have to do with the Exodus narrative? In fact, those opening words are even more ambiguous than they appear here. Because we've borrowed the JPS translation, which reads the wandering as the action of the father, who's also the Aramean in question. But the more famous rendering of this phrase, which is given by Rashi, who's borrowing it from an earlier Midrash, the Sifrei, understands the verb as, as transitive, that is, the action of one subject upon a direct object. So that means it was the Aramean who caused my father to wander. So in that case, who was the Aramean and who was the father? So this is what Rashi answers. 
Arami Overavi, an Aramean, caused my father to wander. This was Lavan, who sought to uproot everyone. Lavan bikesh la kor atakol, when he chased after Jacob. Now, this answer does make some sense in the biblical narrative, especially because Lavan, Jacob's uncle and father-in-law, is the only character actually named in the Torah as the Aramean, Lavan Ha'arami. And this has become the most widely known interpretation due to its incorporation in the Passover Haggadah itself, in the following passage from the Magid section. Se'ulmad, go and learn what Lavan the Aramean sought to do to our father Jacob. For Pharaoh only decreed the death sentence upon the males, but Lavan sought to uproot the whole people. As it is stated, an Aramean caused my father to wander, and he went down to Egypt with meager numbers and sojourned there, but there he became a great and very populous nation. And so the Haggadah goes on to give detailed explanation of nearly every phrase in our verses from Deuteronomy, but it takes the understanding of Lavan as the Aramean as a given. Other medieval commentators, however, objected to this interpretation. The great Spanish grammarian, Abraham Ibn Ezra, first points out that as a technical matter, the verb for wander, Oved, is not actually in the transitive form. But then he brings a contextual challenge as well. He says, and furthermore, what's the reason for saying that Lavan sought to make Jacob wander before speaking of his going down to Egypt? Because Lavan didn't cause Jacob to go down to Egypt. So, it's true, Lavan chased after Jacob as he left Aram, but Jacob eventually made it back home to Canaan and settled there for a good 20 years before he ever went down to Egypt. And when Jacob did finally go to Egypt, it was because he heard his son Joseph was a ruler there, and because Joseph promised to provide the family with refuge from the famine that was then afflicting the region. So Lavan was hardly the cause of that move. Rashi's grandson, the Rashbam, that's Rabbi Shmuel ben Meir, he seemed to agree with these objections, and so he gave an entirely different reading of the verses in Deuteronomy. Arami Ovedavi, my father was a wandering Aramean. My father Abraham was an Aramean, he says, and he was wandering and exiled from the land of Aram. As it is written in Genesis, Lech Lecha, go forth from your native land. Okay, now Abraham is cast as both the wanderer and the Aramean. The Rashbam explains that Abraham can be considered a wanderer because he was called upon to set out from his own land with no knowledge of where he would end up. And Abraham was also originally from the Aram region. As we learn when he sends his servant, he says, Back to my country and my birthplace you will go to find a wife for my son Isaac. And so his servant sets off, it says, And he arose and went to Aram Naharayim, unto the city of Nahor. Aram. And indeed, when the servant arrives in Aram, it's none other than the same Lavan the Aramean who greets him there. Because Lavan, if you're keeping track, is Abraham's nephew's son. So, says the Rashbam, the declaration of the first fruits begins with the early wanderings of our father Abraham. And beginning the national story here has a certain logic, because it's Abraham who is recognized as the founding father of the Jewish people, and if he hadn't responded to the call to go forth from your native land, 
none of the rest of our history would have unfolded the way it did. Abraham's journey also sets the tone of our story as an immigrant's tale, where a people whose origins are found in the midst of wandering, in the search for a new homeland. The desert journey of the Israelites, then, which ends by crossing over into the land of Canaan, is the final fulfillment of Abraham's original search. What, then, would be the significance of reading the story of the Exodus, as Rashi does, beginning with Lavan's pursuit of Jacob? Well, it's true, Lavan doesn't drive Jacob all the way down to Egypt, but he does begin a pattern of subjugation and oppression and a marking of Israel as the foreigner. Just as Lavan worked Jacob for years without pay and then chased Jacob when he tried to flee, so will the Pharaoh one day enslave the Israelites and pursue them with his whole army as they attempt to escape his domain. And what's interesting about these two interpretations is that in one, the Aramean is himself the wanderer, the early immigrant who first settles the land, and in the other, the Aramean is the powerful landowner who holds the fate of the immigrant in his hands. A change of generations and circumstances has placed the once vulnerable party into the role of the oppressor. Given this contrast, the 18th century Beur commentary of the Enlightenment philosopher Moses Mendelssohn is especially striking. He considers both possibilities, that the Aramean in our verse refers to Abraham or to Jacob, and then he suggests a remarkable third possibility. It seems, he says, that the verse refers to both of them, Abraham and Jacob together, and not just to one or the other. And don't be troubled by the wording of my father, for all the patriarchs together can be called father, for they are the foundation stone of Israel, the root and the family of the family and the nation. According to Mendelssohn, the verse speaks simultaneously to the experiences of of Abraham and of Jacob. We might well include Sarah and Rebekah, who also left Aram for the land of Canaan, and Rachel and Leah, who fled Aram years later with Jacob. Because our national history begins with all manner of wanderings, some beginning in hope, following the dream of a better future in a new land, and others beginning in desperation, fleeing persecution from an oppressive regime. And all of these wanderings are related to one another as each journey lays the foundation for the next. We must become careful to remember, then, that yesterday's wandering Aramean can too easily become the Aramean who oppresses the wanderer of today. And national fortunes change quickly, and every generation has its settled peoples and its wanderers. One of the great messages of the Torah is that were to bring our memories of foreignness and uncertainty into our collective consciousness as members of a strong and settled nation. And that is precisely what we do when, after having finally settled the land of Israel, we bring our first fruits and begin our declarations of gratitude by invoking our foreign ancestors, all those wandering Arameans.
Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom, and our theme song is Pitrouli by Hillel Tiguet. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ecar.org and donate or Venmo us at ecarla. That's I-K-A-R-L-A. Thanks a lot and see you next week. Thank you.